Jude 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. You join me in prayer, please. Our Father, we are here together to hear from you. We are here because we need to hear from you. I pray that you would make that clear to us as we spend these short moments working out our salvation with fear and trembling. May your spirit move in our midst to make known your word to us. May it bear much fruit in our lives and in this church. In Jesus' name. If you've ever been woken up from a deep sleep in the middle of the night by a scream, then you know what it feels like to be panicked and focused all at once. To want to flee in terror and run to the fight at the same time. When I jolted awake to my son screaming, Dad, Dad, my first thought was, aren't we past this stage? He's 12. Go back to bed, I yelled. But when I went downstairs and saw a man in his window trying to get in, I knew he wasn't just having a bad dream. And I instantly went into fight mode. I screamed at the guy, and he just stood there, which was creepy. And oddly, as I was screaming, what are you doing here? He answered that he needed help. So, so I'm yelling, well, go to the front of the house. I'll help you. And when he started walking up, I immediately ran to the kitchen and got a knife, which I then swapped for a mini crowbar because I felt bad. I told my wife Sharon to call 911 and went outside to meet him. Looking back, you know, who knows what he was up to, whether he was alone or if he had a gun. I mean, what am I going to do with a mini crowbar? All I knew is in that moment, my only thought was protect my family at all costs. I mean, who wouldn't feel that way? Because when something you deeply cherish and value is being threatened, you fight to preserve and protect it. And this is how Jude felt when he wrote his short letter. 
because something he deeply cherished and valued was being threatened. It was something worth fighting to preserve and protect. Some would even say to die for. More at stake than the lives of his family, it was the lives of every family. And more than their physical lives, it was their eternal souls as well. Jude refers to it as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It was under attack. And Jude was calling upon the church to fight. So critical a threat was this to Jude that when he actually sat down to write to the church about their common salvation in Jesus Christ, he couldn't do it. He wanted to, but he pivoted and changed his mind because if this threat prevails throughout the church, there is no common salvation to write about. So instead, he wrote to the church to exhort them to fight. Our simple outline for day, today is one, what are we fighting for? Two, what are we fighting against? And three, how do we fight? So first, what are we fighting for? Starting in verse three, Jude says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. The word is epagonizomai. It's the only time this verb appears in the New Testament. The ESV translates it as contend. Other translations use fight or contend earnestly. I prefer fight given its common use in athletic imagery of an intense struggle to overcome an opponent. It, it carries with it the thought of expending all your energy to win. If you follow the Warriors this year, you know their struggle was more than a seven game series, but years of fighting, injuries, critics, opponents, to get to the top. And that's the imagery in this appeal to fight. And Jude is applying it for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So what is this? What is the faith once for all delivered to the saints? It's important we get this right. And so we'll break it down. The faith referred to here is the what of faith. It's not the act of faith, okay? This is what would be truths or doctrines upon which the act of faith is applied. It's described as being hapax paradathesa, which is translated here as once for all delivered. Hapax is like one and done, it's completed. Meaning someone can't come along and add to or subtract from it, paradathesa means passed along as sort of like a stewardship, usually written or oral. And the recipients, the saints, are Christians. So this could only be referring to the body of truths that were passed along 
by the apostles. That is, those who were uniquely linked to Jesus Christ. The ones recognized by the church as receiving first-hand teaching from him and carried along by the Holy Spirit to communicate these teachings to the church. So when we read the faith once for all delivered to the saints, we are talking about the distinct, unchangeable doctrines of the Christian faith that were passed along from God himself through the apostles to Christians. They were not generated by man. They were not changeable concepts. They were once for all passed down. And here it would be referring to no less than the truths of Holy Scripture, upon which rests the foundation for our Christian faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ, about which Paul said, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In Jude's time, there would have been no need to explain this. The church would have implicitly understood that the faith once for all delivered to the saints was God's authoritative word through the apostles. Today, I wonder if these words collectively preserved in the Bible are understood in the same way. Many of you probably have some letters, maybe stored away in a box somewhere safe. Maybe they're from a spouse, a close friend, a mother, a father, a child. And they're the ones you save, the ones you treasure. From time to time, you'll pull them out and you read them. Perhaps you smile, laugh, cry, or all three at the same time. Not simply because of the information within them, though you don't have a letter without the information, or because of the great examples of prose and literary excellence, though that certainly adds color to the mind's eye as you read. And certainly never as a duty. You treasure them because you see that person that you love in their words. You experience their love towards you in their words. And in your smiles, laughter, and tears, you are loving them back. The faith once for all delivered is not just a dry collection of doctrine about God, Jesus, mankind, the church, the world. I mean, I know the word doctrine might conjure up images of a strict teacher walking around with a ruler, forcing you to memorize things. But don't be fooled. This is not just information. Nobody enters into relationship with God by simply acknowledging information. No, in, in God's word, we see and hear our heavenly father. We see and hear his son. 
we see and hear about his creation. We see and hear how to respond to all that we see and hear. In all of this, we are helped along by his spirit who comes alongside us to enable us in comprehending and living out what we read. It is a lived experience with God himself built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says this word is living and active. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. In our lived response to it, of study, of repentance, of faith, of prayer, we are loving him back. Do you deeply cherish and value the word of God that is the faith once for all delivered to you? If you love God, that is, if you embrace the common salvation received through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you do. The two go together. And the warning to the church by Jude is that it is under attack. He is sounding the alarm and calling the church to arms to fight for it. So what are we fighting for in the faith once for all delivered to the saints? For God's word. And what is it that we're fighting against? What is this threat to it that is so serious in the church? Well, Jude continues in verse four. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed it appears that some people have sort of slid in, plugged into the church. They've crept in unnoticed. The greatest threats always come from the inside, don't you think? I mean, simply because we aren't expecting it. We don't see it coming. So who are these people who've crept in unnoticed? Well, it's not clear from the text whether Jude actually knows them personally or just knows of them. From the later verses, we see that they participated in the life of the church. They shared in communal gatherings, uh, centered around special meals. There was edification, likely communion. They had voices amongst the people they were with probably serving in leadership and teaching capacities. They would be thought of as disciples. And so they were there to stay. They weren't just passing through. So now flash forward into our modern day context. You would see them sitting in these seats, greeting at the doors, passionately singing the praise songs, sending their kids to access or kids camp, serving in ministries, definitely signing up for the early bird retreat discount. From an outside perspective, they just blended in to the greater church body. But Jude 
is writing to call them out. He says, he calls them ungodly persons who long ago were designated for this condemnation. The majority of Jude's writing, verses 5 through 16, out of a total of 25 verses, is this designated condemnation that he refers to. And in it, he does not pull any punches. It's an extremely negative denouncement. Right off the bat, there is terrible pronouncement of judgment on them. And he uses three examples. The first is the destruction of unbelievers from Israel who were saved out of Egypt. The second, the being kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness of fallen angels. And the third is the punishment of eternal fire given to the immoral people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Such judgments, Jude says, are reserved for these phony people as well. And he continues to condemn them with scathing, harsh rhetoric. Listen to some of the ways they are described. They defile the flesh, they reject authority, blaspheme angels, and all they don't understand are like unreasoning animals, walk in the way of Cain, abandon themselves for gain to Balaam's error, perish in Korah's rebellion, are hidden reefs, waterless clouds, fruitless trees twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting the foam of their shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness is reserved forever, grumblers, malcontents, followers of sinful desires, loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantages, scoffers, followers of ungodly passions. They cause division, are worldly, and devoid of the Spirit. Woe to them. One commentator described Jude as the least read book in the New Testament. The majority of this book is condemnation. What do we do with such language directed at these people? These people who just plugged right in unnoticed, who are considered disciples. Well, <clears throat> I can think of a couple of responses. On one hand, some of us may be screaming, as many throughout history have in the name of opposition to God, find them and get a rope. Or, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? This is what the disciples, James and John, said to Jesus in Luke 9 when they were passing through a Samaritan village who didn't want them there because they were Jews, and Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Jesus rebuked them right away, and they moved on to the next place. On the other hand, some of us might feel a bit uncomfortable with the scathing rhetoric of Jude. I mean, it's so harsh. Can you imagine reading this out loud in a diversity, equity, and inclusion meeting? You would be instantly canceled forever. I mean, maybe it's, hey, I, I hang around these people all the time, work, school, my neighborhood, and some of them are nice people. 
Some of them are my friends. I mean, I'm not perfect. Nobody is. Can we be more inclusive? To this, I think about how Paul spent the entirety of, of Galatians trying to unravel this sort of thinking. That tried to include Jewish tradition into the faith to make it more inclusive. And he said, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What's happening in Jude's writing is that he's setting up a very clear line of division between the people who entered in unnoticed and the beloved. Even though they didn't recognize any outward difference. It's, it's a, a rhetorical strategy in his writing to hold their error up as super negative examples with horrendous consequences so that the obvious choice is to want to stay on the right side of the line, that of the beloved who fight for the faith once for all delivered. Well, we do it. We know. We do it with our kids all the time. Do you want to play video games and kill your brain cells and struggle getting into college? Or would you like to bask in the great outdoors and read books and enjoy God's creation? It isn't about hating the bad guys. The fight isn't against flesh and blood, as Paul puts it in Ephesians. Although we always seem to want to make it about that. So if it's not the people per se, then what are we fighting against? Well, we are fighting against whatever would pull us away from the truth of the faith once for all delivered. We are fighting against distortion of God's word, which brings about defecting. We are fighting against what these people taught, whether through their actual pedagogical teaching or just their life example within the community. And how do you think such people would influence the people around them? Others would go down the same paths. And it was happening in that community. It happens today. And it effectively undermines the faith once for all delivered. We see this as Jude further describes what these people were doing. Jude said that they were ungodly persons who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. They were distorting the grace of God by using it as a license to sin. A key part of the gospel doctrine is God's grace to us through the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf, which cleanses us from all sin. We are forgiven. What it also does is that it frees us from an enslavement to sin. I can repent or turn away from it 
and choose to follow God now because I'm not enslaved to sin. In fact, I want to follow God because his grace is that amazing. A perversion, a distortion of that would be to see that same grace of God through the death of Jesus Christ as simply freeing them from the consequence of sin and saying, hey, I can now sin whenever I want. No big deal because God's grace has me covered and forgiven. These are two very different things. One is part of the faith once for all delivered. The other is a heresy, a false teaching. These people were essentially living out what Paul had rejected in Romans 6.1, if you remember. He said, are we, going, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. They were effectively living with no authority over their actions other than themselves because of grace and thereby denying Jesus Christ as master and Lord. You all remember the fun game of telephone tag, right? The one where a group of people and little kids are the best. They line up and starting with the first person, a simple phrase is given to them. Mom has many magazines. And then that person smiles and turns to the next person, whispers what he remembers to the next kid. Who then turns and says, Mom has mini microgreens. And on and on. Until it gets to the last person who triumphantly announces the message for all to hear. Tom has 20 meth machines. And everyone's cracking up and they're looking at the person next to them and say, hey, I thought you said this. What? The message is passed along and it eventually gets pretty skewed. Usually to the point where the final message has absolutely nothing to do with the original. That's distortion. And can you see how the faith, once for all delivered, can drift to a faith someone came up with? And then maybe how a faith could drift to maybe a feeling I had while sleeping? And then how a feeling could eventually drift to nothing is certain or Everything is true. This is what can happen to God's word, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, if we do not fight against its distortion. The urgency of Jude's letter is very real. He knows what is at stake. It was a matter of eternal life and death which is why it was necessary to write appealing for the church to fight. I hope we are a people determined to fight. So how do we fight for the faith? Well, Jude doesn't give us any special method or secret sauce 
in verses 20 to 23, really there are two very straightforward things that might seem obvious. The first one is stay connected to the love of God. He says we do this by building on the faith once for all delivered to us and praying in the Spirit. The, the fighting in this could be anything from cracking the Bible open for the first time to saying a short five-second prayer to studying the actual word deeply to leading a Bible study to refusing to deny Christ at gunpoint and every other struggle in between until Jesus returns. And all of it depends on the Spirit's enabling, which we so desperately need, yet so often neglect in our prayer. The second thing Jude talks about is pull up others. Jude says, have mercy, save others from. No matter where you stand in the faith, you can help pull someone up. Jude knows that within the church, this mixed bag of people, there are doubters. There are those whose faith is hanging on by a thread in the fire. And there are those who are outright opposed to the faith. They're all there. Jude says to live out the same mercy of the Lord Jesus that you are promised upon his return. Be merciful. I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 4.16, which says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Our fight against distortion, uh, against distortion requires close watch on ourselves and on the teaching. For those of us who are waiting for the Father's Day punchline to the message, maybe we can find one at this point. Although Jude's uh, exhortation to fight applies to all of us, regardless of our station in life. Fathers, we have a unique bent towards fighting, don't we? We are called in particular to fight for our children in Ephesians 6, in bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it says, which is the same thing as the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And just as it has been passed along to us, we are to pass it along to our children so they can pass it along to theirs. See, this is real life telephone tag lived out generationally within the church. And so the question is, fathers, what message are we passing along to them? Is it true to the faith once for all delivered to the saints? Is it God's word to us?
And are we determined to fight for that? Jude tells us that the, sh- uh, the stakes are of eternal importance. So to close, in case the weight of his message is a, a burden that seems just too heavy to bear, Jude gives us comfort at the very beginning and the end of his letter. It is a message of God's sovereign work of keeping the Christian from falling. When he writes, he says, to those who are called and kept for Jesus Christ. And he ends by saying, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. If we have been called by God through Jesus Christ, he will also keep us from stumbling all the way till the end. And for that reason, we can fight. Let's pray. Our Father, we are a people who can fight. And we direct that oftentimes to things which we shouldn't be fighting for. I pray, Lord, that we would be determined to fight for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That we would fight for your word. We would do this in our own life. We would do this in the lives of our family. We would do this in the lives of our community in this church. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.